Welcome to the No Normal. New Music Edmonton presents The No Normal, a podcast series featuring the words and works of creative sonic artists from central Alberta and beyond. In a moment, NME's artistic director Ian Crutchley will introduce the subjects of this installment of The No Normal. But first, New Music Edmonton respectfully acknowledges that this celebration of creativity was produced on Treaty 6 territory. Amiskwichiwiskaigan is the traditional gathering place of the many indigenous peoples whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence and enrich our community. We further acknowledge that it was the indigenous peoples of Treaty 6 who established the principles for, and have remained exemplars of, the respectful and caring use of this land for the purposes of art, livelihood, and spirituality. It is from these principles that New Music Edmonton has sought and will continue to seek partnerships, inspiration, and learning. For more information about NME's programming and events, look us up on social media or visit our website, newmusicedmonton.ca. And now, here is Ian Crutchley. Back in February 2023, New Music Edmonton presented an extraordinary event, the premiere of a new book composition by Mike McCormick, performed by Edmonton vocalist and longtime friend of Mike's, Jessica Wagner. The work, Underwent, is a powerful and very personal artistic gesture, a work and performance unlike almost anything I've ever experienced in a concert hall. In the following conversation, I caught up with Mike and Jessica only a few days after the premiere, and we had a chance then to really get to the heart of the work, and also to get to know a little bit more about both of their backgrounds. Please note this important caution. This episode includes discussion of mental health issues experienced by the artists we are speaking with, and it includes experiences of suicidal ideation in a depressive episode. Listening to this may be triggering for some listeners. About three weeks ago, we had a performance of Underwent, composed by Mike McCormick and performed by Jessica Wagner. I want to get around a little bit later in our discussion to talking about the show itself and the piece and some of the issues that come up with that piece, but I thought we should start maybe just by talking a little bit more generally about your background and and some, some things like that. It's always interesting with people who have decided to perform new music, especially for their life. But I wonder if you could talk a bit, a little bit about how you started to realize that you were a singer to start with, and then um, maybe about how life led you into thinking about new music as the place where you really wanted to express yourself as an artist. Well, I think my becoming a singer is pretty plain, I would say. I always took piano lessons and then Really, when I was in high school, I really wanted to also take singing lessons. I was always singing around the house, and so I started singing lessons. And so formally, all of my training is in classical singing. So 
from my singing lessons, I did my Bachelor of Music and then eventually did my Master's in voice performance in classical music. But I've also always had sort of a varied background of the different types of things. I like to sing. I was, I've always been in ensembles and I did acapella music and vocal jazz and all that stuff in different capacities. Through my formal training, I think it was also something that I really valued having a variety of musical inputs and a variety of different ways to use my voice. Then when I sort of stumbled into contemporary music, to me, that was one of the big factors that drew me into it was being able to use my voice in not just a traditional sort of way, being able to use it in a really, yeah, a really wide variety, a, a big capacity of all the things that you could do with your voice and even learning more than what I already knew about it. Of course, the creative process of it too sort of intrigued me to learn more about it and collaborate and work with other individuals and create. I can actually remember this for myself, but I'm wondering if you can remember what was the first piece of music you heard or performance that you were at where you're kind of like, this isn't old music, this is new music, this is something that makes a lot more sense to me than other things seem to. Well, I mean, hilariously, I think when I first was learning about contemporary music was in my undergrad, and I think I actually didn't feel a connection to it when I was first learning about it. I think I didn't have the biggest draw to it, I think, because it was so new to me and didn't have enough of a context for appreciation for it. So I think for me, actually, the thing that for me, it wasn't a performance either that I sat through or performed myself. It was actually just being able to collaborate and create with other people that actually started sort of my awareness of, of my sort of desire to jump in and learn more and see really what there what were things that I valued in it. That's interesting because it does tie in a lot with what we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is basically that, you know, a lot of your work with Mike is about the relationship uh, of working, not so much about a particular piece or something like that. Yeah, exactly.
Uh, how about you, Mike? You are more than just a composer. You do all sorts of other kinds of musical and sonic art practices. How did that um, naughtiness enter your life where you <laughs> sort of decided that uh, or found out that there was this really interesting way of expressing oneself that kind of compelled you to move move with it, get involved in it? So I, I started playing electric guitar in high school and very quickly got into blues and like sort of rock from the 50s and 60s and 70s, but very quickly got into playing jazz guitar. And I think part of the reason I liked blues and, and like sort of Jimi Hendrix and, and musicians like that, guitar players like that, was because there was always this element of improvisation, guitar solos or whatever. And so something about even though you're playing a, a song or a composition, there's always this personal space for personal input or personal expression. So I very quickly got into jazz based on the same idea. Like I like this way of being able to improvise and, and contribute something, even if I'm playing other people's pieces. I was really like afraid or, or intimidated to compose for a long time. I didn't think I really could do it or I didn't even know where to start. Kind of around until the time I moved to Toronto to finish my bachelor's degree. And then I realized that all the jazz musicians I really loved were also composers. And composing was part of the jazz tradition, even though there's so much emphasis on improvisation. And it, it never really struck me before in a way, like all the foundational jazz like icons or whatever, all of them wrote, wrote their own tunes or wrote melodies on, on other, you know, harmonies from other songs or whatever. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because I, I think I was the same. It was just kind of like there's the musicians and then they just have these songs. It's also like jazz education. Usually there's space for composition, but it's not it's not emphasized as much as improvisation and, and uh, individualistic expressions through soloing, I guess. So then I started writing music and found this to be another way of expressing myself. Still enjoyed improvising and I think over time got a little... My taste got broader, so I started listening to music and, and kind of studying music outside of just jazz as a genre. I've always been very like curious and, and sort of thirsty and trying to like find new techniques and, and steal as much as I can from people smarter than me. Now I, I live abroad and I've moved around and, and seen a lot of, experienced a lot of different kinds of sort of musical and artistic expressions. And I feel like in the last few years, I've started to get or started to find a direction that's maybe a little bit more genre agnostic, but maybe a little bit more personal, I guess, uh, in terms of like the vocabulary and techniques and process. So now there's not so much jazz happening in my day to day in terms of like what I create and what I perform and compose, but it's still definitely, I think, I think there's something about that is still has a strong influence on how I work. I mean, you might be able to comment on this, but I, I feel like in the sort of conservatory composition tradition or whatever there's an emphasis maybe on learning about instruments or ensembles you know traditional ensembles coming from jazz i've always had this feeling that i i'm not writing for a trumpet player i'm writing for this specific person and the way they play and the, and the, the voice that they have and i think even though i don't work so often with jazz musicians anymore that that's sort of still a really important thing for me is that i i'm writing for humans and not just like disembodied instruments or ensembles, I guess.
Did your first work together happen when you were still students? This was our first work together. I studied at Grant McEwen. I did like the jazz program. What do they call it? Jazz and contemporary popular music or something. This was before they were calling themselves a university. So it was just like a two-year diploma thing. Yeah, at the time I had peripheral casual interest in music outside of jazz as a listener, basically. I wasn't really engaged. Maybe I would go see like the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra play now and again. Jazz was like my whole life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I was at U of A, but we didn't, we didn't actually know each other when we were students. We met after we both had graduated from our programs. I probably learned more through jazz being friends with you, and you introduced me to some at the time that I thought were weirdo voices, and that was great. And I was going to say, I remember presenting to you some of the like weird vocal music I was listening to, which was maybe coming from freely improvised music, contemporary things, but also stuff coming from like the downtown New York scene. I recall that at the time anyways, it wasn't what you were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was, it was uh, just because I'd never heard it, right? Like it was also new to me, so that was what we have friends for, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. How long did it take before you even started to think that perhaps you could start doing some work together? So was there was there some point where you started to talk to each other about, um, hey, let's do some work together? That's a good question. Maybe, Mike, you know, I kind of think Mike moved away from Edmonton and then also abroad. We, you know, stayed connected and stayed updating each other on our personal lives, but also on our sort of um, musical journeys and what we were kind of learning in our own journeys. And I think they kind of, they were far apart at some point, you know, when we had first become friends, they kind of like in some ways overlapped. And I think we started learning from each other just like we did before, but sort of with a maybe a more common ground or a more common language. I don't know. I I, also, I can't quite remember, but we concretely we sort of started discussing what a collaboration would look like in the beginning of 2019 in austria i feel like we must have discussed it before like the possibility but you had already planned to be there for the, the festival or something. and i came out and met you so we must have it must have been a combination of hey it'd be great to see you like in person instead of you know video chats but also while i'm there I can write this off as a business expense if we talk a little bit about collaboration. <laughs> we were sharing a lot of like, just like repertoire and stuff. I, I remember talking to you about that, like the Aaron Cassidy piece and like, just kind of getting curious about contemporary vocal music and talking talking about studies and talking about ah, like what, do you, what pieces are you working on at the moment? And then I think, I guess it grew from there. Like it just kind of made sense. Like it's taken some time, but now our tastes and experiences are sort of more aligned. We always had like a quite a respect for each other musically, I think right from the beginning, even though our, you know, what we did was sort of in a different world. Talking about 2019, then I happen to know that this is basically when when the project underwent uh, started to take shape. Underwent is a is a, a very singular piece in my own experience. Um, it is a piece that Mike composed um, in collaboration with you, Jessica. Um, Mike, I wonder if you could share with us the background of this piece and, um, you know, maybe discuss a little bit about how it was structured, um, you know, and how the mental health crisis that sort of initiated this whole process, um, you know, started to take shape in your mind as being potentially a, a, a worthy, um, subject for for a new piece of music and whether it was always going to be a piece for jessica or whether it was a, perhaps a sort of a more general idea at first certainly in the last years my work is or i've been trying to maybe look for compositional material from looking at my 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 life instead of looking outwards lots of great pieces that set poetry to music someone else's poetry but i kind of realized a few years ago like I've written a million text messages that maybe could also be as poetic as uh, Emily Dickinson or something. But, you know, there, there's certain things that you have a different understanding of material when it's very close to you. If I want to 
take somebody else's libretto or somebody else's text and set it to music, you create this sort of, or, or you're sort of required to add a layer of interpretation or, or, or filtering of that material. For the past few years, I've been trying to be more and more like just aware that there's all this material around me that I already have. I don't have to go out looking at the library for text material, for example. I found this voice memo that was recorded during a mental health crisis I experienced in 2017. And this was like on a hard drive with lots of other voice memos, which are not nearly as dramatic, assorted recordings from different places and times in my life. And, and this recording, I don't think, I certainly didn't make it with the intention of trying to get some good material for a, for a piece, but there was something about my reaction to hearing this, this recording again. So I had this crisis in 2017, and then I, I probably didn't find, it must have been at the end of 2018 or beginning of 2019 when I heard the recording again and realized that there was something about the the raw emotion and the sort of, at least for me, I mean, I, I don't know how obvious it is for other people, but like knowing myself, knowing my voice, even just hearing the quality of my voice speaking, just the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to sort of travel back in time and space to the, the evening that that recording was made. And it was really powerful for me. It was really challenging for me, but it was also like put me in an interesting state of mind where I thought, if I was working from a creative space while sort of in this state, something something very interesting could come out of this, potentially. I didn't know exactly what, but I just sort of felt there was a very special energy about it and, and something that I don't think I could achieve in in another way. For example, there's um, David Lang just recently wrote an opera uh, for Theo Blackman as a soloist, which also deals with uh, suicide. And the libretto is, is like a suicide note uh, from a Japanese uh, writer. And I, I thought a lot about this piece. It was it also premiered just I think in February, and I thought it was very interesting that he, just from the excerpts I've heard of the of the of the music, putting himself in somebody else's shoes and and sort of interpreting. There's also like a language translation thing. There's a lot of layers of interpretation, which I don't think invalidate the the music or the material, but it it's it's a very different process than what I've gone through. And so I thought it was very interesting to take a bit of a risk maybe challenge myself to approach this material and try and make something something that could be productive, constructive, I guess. This recording is just a, a voice memo that I made on my phone during an evening in 2017 where I was contemplating ending my life. And the recording is about 15 minutes long and it sort of goes through a uh, several different emotional states where I'm at certain points, I'm screaming, crying hysterically. At other points, I'm a little bit more introspective or contemplative, certainly like very desperate, certainly, you know, just trying to make sense of what, what the things that are happening in my head and feeling very hopeless and very alone. And for the, the composition, I, I decided to take, I think there's three or four excerpts from that recording that I use in the piece to sort of bookmark different sort of musical sections and there's one other recording one other voice memo that i that i use at the beginning of the piece which is it's not from the same evening it's not from the same recording but it's from the same time period where like the same week or something like that where i'm sort of trying to reach out for help trying to get the help from a friend and, and sort of not re receiving any any response and even that recording that i just re discovered that recording at the end of last year while i was sort of looking around for other material, I, I found that there was another recording, you know, made around the same time. And it's maybe not as dramatic, but at least for me, when I, I, I hear it, I can, I can hear the, I can hear in my voice that something is, is wrong. You know, it's some, something is, I'm in a very different state. And I thought that would be also interesting and, and relevant for, for, to include in the piece.
Maybe your phone's died, or maybe it's been lost or stolen or something, but I don't know, maybe you can find a computer somewhere. I just kind of want to talk. I just hope you're okay. I mean, I hope, um, hope you're okay. So hopefully talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I had the impression when we spoke in February that the suicidal episode that Mike went through was a surprise to you. So I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your reaction to finding out about this and also whether or not this was at the same time as Mike wanted to first discuss the idea of a, of a project based on it. Or did you know about this situation ahead of time? Yeah, no, I didn't. I don't remember actually super clearly anymore. I believe we first talked about it when we met up in Austria, talking about working together. I only vaguely remember our conversation, but I think given that Mike and I know each other so well and respect each other, I think it was a conversation where we both felt just comfortable to talk about it. And I, you know, of course, wanted to know more and ask questions and Mike felt safe telling me about the experience. And so I don't think it was a dramatic conversation, just one that we kind of were sharing our lives a bit with each other, talking about it in terms of whether this would be something, you know, we would take into our project. I think I probably, again, respecting Mike as a person and also as a musician, I think I felt there was a level of like, we definitely could do that. There was a trust level. There was wanting it to be important. And, you know, I felt there a little bit of probably responsibility as I did. I think when we were working on it this February together, we talked about that a bit. I don't know that I remember more than that. What about your first reaction to the idea of this being a piece where you would be the central performer? Did you have a sort of initial reaction? Or in fact, did it just go straight into creative thoughts about how you might express this? Yeah, I'm sure I did. I actually, again, don't really specifically remember. I have a vague <laughs> uh, recollection of talking about that, especially being the sole performer on stage. It's something that's super vulnerable with added content, um, is extra vulnerable, but I think also is something that I think needs to be handled carefully because I think if it becomes something that's too dramatic, and this is, the, I think, probably purely my my own sort of opinion, but maybe is less, potentially less sincere or less impactful. Yeah, we talked about this a lot as as we went. I think I wanted my role to be something that was very genuine, and I think it ended up being that way, that it wasn't something that, you know, okay, now I was going up on stage and assuming the character of somebody and... So though, yes, there was sort of that dramatic element of it, I think we tried to find a balance and we talked about that a lot of of sort of what that role would be. Mike, did you ever consider um, that the piece might take a different form than this? That, I mean, it seems almost inevitable that there would be somebody doing a vocal part um, and being on stage. But I mean, was there any ever any toying with like, oh, it could be a string quartet in voice or something more traditional, for example? Yeah, or less traditional. Like I, I also do compose sometimes like for acousmatic settings, just for speaker orchestra. I thought it could also be like a multimedia piece or something. But the thing is, like I, I remember when I asked Jess about it, it was like, we talked about collaborating, but I was like, okay, here's an idea. Here's something, here's a potential idea. We both need to like really be on board and, and sort of agree that, you know, what this is about and what the what the terms of engagement are. And like, I also, I didn't, the thing is I didn't want to put like the burden on anybody to go into heavy material without knowing what they're signing up for. I think before Jess and I discussed collaboration, I wasn't even necessarily sure that I would use this material for anything. I just sort of knew I had this recording. It was when we started talking about collaborating and I was like, okay, well, if anybody would actually sort of perform alongside excerpts of this recording, I, I think Jess would be the only one that I could really sort of feel comfortable about 
that's a detail I may not have quite understood, which is that the two discussions were sort of separate. It wasn't like you, this happened to you and you wanted to do a piece out of it. The way I remember it, uh, could be wrong, but I, we, we talked about collaborating just in general, generally speaking, let's make some music together, talking about, well, what do we like? What kind of music do we like making? What do we, what gets us excited about contemporary music or what do, what do we think our contribution can be or what do we have? What, what is, about this collaboration is unique or, or special or sharing? And then at some point I kind of recall being like, okay, here's an idea, but don't feel pressure. It's not like we have to do this, but here's something we could explore. As I remember, that was the first time that I shared with you that I had gone through this uh, depressive period and uh, mental health crisis. And um, I don't think it was like an immediate, yeah, let's do it. But it was definitely like, there was a discussion that came out of that that was like, yeah, this would be challenging, but there's some real potential here to to do something that perhaps is best suited for us because of our personal relationship, because of our also just personal interests outside of music. And 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 then I think that's when after that, that's when the sort of more practical and, and sort of logistic discussions started happening. Well, I mean, we started writing our grant application in Austria. We kind of got right down to business and sort of, I think we were, once we decided, yes, this was something that with the right mindset and with the right sort of creative process, it could be something that could be something. Just sort of dove right in immediately. It's notable that this received a really great project funding from the Canada Council. And uh, so we thank them for that because they also funded in part the presentation, as well as funding lots of New Music Edmonton's activities. When it came to presenting this in the form of a proposal, what stages did you go through? Was it pretty fast or did you go through a lot of iterations of what it would be like? Was there sort of a really quick, fast vision of what the piece would be like and what your roles would be? Or or did it take some some work to kind of deliberate, discuss, draw, draw some pictures or whatever processes that you went through? Some of the logistic things came together pretty quickly at least in my mind because i wanted to once once the the sort of general idea of this piece um once we decided to move forward with it it was important for me that we presented this piece in in yellowknife where i grew up where um yeah suicide is is a real problem it's a real uh, serious issue and also just mental health resources across the whole like north of canada is it's it's a real problem and i wanted to see what we could do to involve people that i know in, in the north to the premiere there and and maybe also do a tour or something like this but to, to bring the piece up north so i think it must have been some days or weeks after we managed to get in touch with my good friend carmen braden who's a composer and curator and concert organizer and all sorts of things up in yellowknife and she was on board with the project and was going to present the piece at a festival that she runs called the Long Shadow Festival. So without knowing what the piece was yet or what it was going to be, but just having this like sort of understanding of the core idea and the fact that it would be voice and I guess electronics that was also maybe established. The other stuff sort of came together pretty quickly in terms of like, okay, here's where we want to do it. We have like a producer in mind. We want to get uh, the Canadian Mental Health uh, Association involved. I think those things came together pretty quickly in the process of writing the, the grant application. But it's also this thing that I've experienced in other projects as well, where you're like the first part of the composition process happens in the grant application process because you're sort of, you're sort of picturing what this piece might be without knowing anything really tangible about it. That was interesting, but I think those like logistic things kind of came together more or less pretty quickly. I've asked a lot of people this question. Sometimes these questions were right in March or in 2020 when we were first doing the podcast about the impact of the pandemic. In your your case, there's, there's a very clear uh, practical impact, which is that it delayed everything. But I'm wondering if that delay also led you to changes to the piece or whether even just a long period of not working on it did you find your perspective changed at all or or was it sort of just sitting there waiting to go and you were ready to go i mean it's easy to say this in hindsight but i think the way everything worked out was was really really great if there's anything positive that came out of out of the the pandemic 
I suddenly had a lot more time to work on this piece than than we originally scheduled or budgeted for. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but I, I, I needed it. The summer of 2020, I went away to a residency in countryside in the mountains in Norway to work on this piece. And I, I was kind of staying in a cabin by myself for two months and started working on this piece and just really had to stop and put it away. Like it was too much to handle by myself. Stress and anxiety that was coming from the pandemic was just also too much. Like it was, it was really uh, not a very smart idea to, to go and work on the piece. But um, at that point, I basically sketched the whole thing out, like very rough sketches. And then I, so I kind of felt like, okay, I can take a break from this. And then when we start to reschedule the premiere and stuff like this, that I, you know, I have the sketches, then I can just sit down and, and just kind of do the, the dirty work and it'll, it'll come together pretty quickly. Definitely after taking some time away from the piece, I also later then discovered other like voice memos and recordings material that I decided I wanted to use. There is a score for the piece, a very like sort of rough, loosely notated score, but Basically, the, the composition is a few thousand lines of code. So my skills as a programmer really progressed during uh, the pandemic because that was work that I could still do. I could still compose just alone with my computer. It was good. I mean, I, I think it's the longest I've ever, from start to finish, I think it's the longest I've ever worked on a piece, certainly with lots of pauses in between and lots of starting, getting really deep into the material getting a little bit overwhelmed by the material and then taking time off. But I, that was kind of an, a luxury. Like, I think it's what the piece needed. I think it was important. We talked, Jess and I talked a lot about this also in preparation for the project, that this is the kind of piece or the kind of project that you can, yeah, you could get lost in or could trigger another sort of mental health episode. So it was important for for us to do things in a healthy way as much as possible, I guess. Does that imply that, that you were in communication during the compositional process a lot? I would say on and off about it, check in with each other, check in about the project, but I think also giving it some space because, you know, when there's something that we both obviously wanted to do this project and I don't think it was happy or healthy for anyone during the pandemic to constantly be talking about the things that we were not able to be doing, we probably did give it some breathing room talking about the specifics of it, we would check in and, you know. I think the check-ins were also like, we're friends first compared to maybe any other collaboration or sort of artistic project I have. In many of the cases, you decide to work with somebody because of you like their aesthetic or, you know, you have some sort of artistic commonalities. And then you become friends after working together over time. But this this process, you know, our, our relationship is, is kind of the opposite times when we would like check in with each other, we would maybe talk about the project. Mostly it was just like, how are you doing? How's the pandemic treating you? As a side note, oh yeah, like I'm working on this piece. I'll let you know when I have questions about vocal techniques or your range. For you, what was the experience like treating that as material? Because you would have had that recording in your ears a lot um, and also had to edit it and do all sorts of interesting and perhaps also quite disturbing things to it. I wonder if you could share a little bit of the experience of sort of having that in your ears so often for such a long time. I think you said this at one of the performances. Most people don't like listening to their own voice. I'm not one of those people. I've listened to my voice in many different contexts. It's not even that I enjoy it. I sort of see the necessity of it for my work. And so I kind of get past my ego a little bit. But this recording obviously is like, it's it's quite a different thing to listen to. And it, it's still really pierces me emotionally, which I think is quite interesting. Like for some people, you know, smells really activate their memories. And for me, it's it sounds like these, these field recordings and things like this that I have from different, you know, travels or, or whatever. Like I, I can really just travel back to those those places and feel what I was feeling at the time. And so it's quite an intense experience to listen to this recording. And there were periods where I had to be a little bit like treat this as material. Let's just focus our listening to intelligibility. Let's think about, can I understand the text here? I think I'd like to use this, but the text isn't really usable. I can't really hear it. So, okay. You know, I spent time just transcribing the, the whole recording, just taking the text and then looking at the text objectively, like just as text without any of the expression of the, of the recording. 
I don't really know what to say other than like it it was hard and I listened to it a lot. And I think maybe I told you this just that like when I was a kid, I was really fascinated with like Arctic explorers, these people that would voyage off and try and find the Northwest Passage or the South Pole or something like this. As a kid, I kind of lamented the fact that the whole earth has been mapped out, it's been charted and and there's nothing left to discover. And then as I started to get more as I started to like build an artistic practice, I, I realized that there's this like internal landscape that is kind of endless. And and that's where if you choose to to sort of go there, there's it takes a bit of bravery, it takes maybe a bit of foolish, dumb luck. But this willingness to to sort of explore the unknown, accepting that there's maybe some risks involved, and also understanding that there's a potential to return with something that could be of use for others and not just for yourself. So I, I think that's kind of when I do these sort of dives into my you know personal life, it's, I can be a little bit objective in a way, like I, maybe it's my way of tricking myself, but it, I can sort of believe that this is, there's some good that will come of this. It's, it's difficult, but it's not just because I'm a masochist, like there's, there's something here for myself and for others. Jessica, you didn't really see this as a dramatic piece in the sense of it's not a piece of music theater. So I wonder if you could talk about how you saw this piece as an interpreter of it, and also maybe even a little bit about what, what it feels like to be on stage in the spotlight, literally, but also listening to occasionally, because it's not constant through the entire piece, but, but to be hearing this, this recording of your friend in distress. Part of training as a classical singer is interpretation. Think about the subject matter and put yourself into those shoes, so to speak. Put your own personal feelings on it too. My role in the performance in the piece was really as the friend of the person in need, you know, the listener and the, the support. It was very rewarding, but also very difficult. I was, I was glad for those movements of electronics so I could take a couple of breaths and sit through them because hearing those recordings was also difficult every time, partially because I was trying to also really put myself emotionally in the shoes of the friend hearing it for the first time or how Mike must have been feeling in those moments or how the audience might be feeling hearing those recordings and what their reaction might have been based on their own personal experiences. So I think for me, emotionally was really impactful trying to sort of empathize with the room in general, you know, Mike being in the room, first of all, and um, I was kind of singing in his direction, which was really nice and difficult. (laughs) 
because some of those recordings, I think I, I said in one of the post performance discussions, it's hard hearing them because I think say, had I been there in those situations, I feel like I wanted to say things that would have actually helped Mike in those situations, you know, even that feeling of sort of helplessness. Well, and I wondered also, because the piece kind of leaves you space for you to be impacted by the piece itself, because there's a lot of times where you recede from the performance. I mean, you're very, very used to singing really high virtuosic music. I know that you do Kurtog and all sorts of other things like that, as well as singing in choirs where you're constantly singing. This this really required you to do a different kind of virtuosity. We, we've discussed this a little bit as well, like both from the performance side and from the composer side, there are contemporary attitudes about like technical virtuosity being the highest goal or whatever. And it's certainly like a valid form of expression. In fact, one that I also enjoy immensely as well. You know, that's definitely part of what I love to do as well. Of course. And I, I also love to hear it. But I think in a piece like this, virtuosity is maybe redefined a little bit or, or getting into the emotional state necessary to like convey this material and empathizing with the audience and these sorts of things. That takes a degree of training and experience and commitment that not everybody has. Not everybody's willing to, to, to go there. And, and for me, that's just as virtuosic and just as like special as somebody who can rip four octave arpeggios. Well, and I, I feel like sometimes when there is that, the task of virtuosity, sometimes the vulnerability is secondary. At least it is for me, right? And we discussed that maybe my skill is even in the in the virtuosic and not in the vulnerable. Taking away the virtuosity made it so that both of us had to be super vulnerable in the process, right? You as the subject <laughs> sharing a, a large piece of yourself, right? And then yeah, me trying to interpret that a bit. I wouldn't suggest for a minute that it was lacking virtuosity. It's, as you say, it's a different kind. And if I'm going to be really honest, in some moments in the weeks before the performance, before I knew anything about what the piece would be like, except the subject, there was a little bit of a fear in my mind. I think we talked on the night about the, you know, the number of suicides in opera and of course in movies and stuff where it's just hard to really compare that to the reality. This was something I, I sort of thought a lot about and struggled with at times as well is you want to do justice to the material you want to have some sort of form and dramaturgy but yeah you don't want it to become like a soap opera you also don't want it to be so heavy that people are just sort of empty after the performance like i, I wanted to try and make it so that there was yeah space for like reflection within the piece and also leaving you after the piece with some at least some energy left to sort of yeah be able to have discussions about or to talk about things one of the things i thought about a lot as well was that i don't want this piece just to be for new music audiences i think part of the way that i some of the vocal parts came out they're not that operatic wide vibrato voice that turn a lot of people away from contemporary music or from classical music in general and i think that was important for me that the piece could be like approached by laypersons non-musicians and they would still be able to get something out of it. Whereas if you if you want to do Shankarian analysis, you could probably do that and get something out of it as well. You know what I mean? Like I, I, ho I hope anyways that there's some some depth to the material. One of the things we talked about, the, the first section of the piece is like very, very microtonal, but it's, it's sort of at the threshold of human hearings or human perception. So it, it's not really perceived as like a microtonal landscape in the way that we're used to with contemporary music, you know, microtonal music, spectral music or whatever. But if you want to go in and analyze the accidental uh, language that I came up with for the piece, that's fine. You can do that. And, and some, some people will enjoy that as well. I think that's a great point because a few minutes into it, um, I, I sort of realized like this isn't a piece of music theater. This isn't a piece of chamber music. It was something completely un, in a way unexpected in my own perception, other than the subject, and beautifully so, because to me, the only thing I could really call it afterwards was a work of art. It is some artistic expression of some kind, but it doesn't really need categorization. 
it's really interesting uh you were saying that you would like it to have uh be enjoyed not necessarily just by a chamber music audience so that brings up the circumstances of the performances we had in edmonton where we were extremely fortunate to have people from the canadian mental health agency present not only um, professional staff but also volunteers who have been directly affected by suicide by by way of losing loved ones there was inevitably in my mind wondering how the professionals and, and, and those volunteers would react to it. And it was 100% positive. But we also embarked on a really, I thought, really fruitful discussion twice in, in 14 hours after the performances about this. And how did you feel that that way of presenting the work worked? And is that sort of in the direction that you think a piece like this should go? I, I was so happy with your work in, in organizing, putting this all together, and, and very thankful for all the people that came out as as volunteers and people from the crisis hotline and all these things. You know, not only these people joining, but then also engaging in the conversation and being very, also themselves, very vulnerable. I thought it was a really special atmosphere. I obviously perceive the performance of this piece in a different way, like the Friday night, you know, just hoping everything that my computer doesn't crash and, you know, things like that. But it was really, I thought it really created a special space where we had this collective experience of hearing the piece and then performing the piece or whatever. And then being able to talk or not even talk, but listen also, just listen to each other and, and be in a space with each other. It felt quite different than a lot of other concerts or performances I've put on myself before or, or been at. And I think it really the discussion and everything really supplements what the piece is about. I don't necessarily want people to just hear a piece, be affected, and then go home and sit with it by themselves. Part of the intention of this project is to get people talking about uh, depression and suicidal ideation and and suicide and being comfortable saying the word. And, and it's an unfortunately common part of our lives. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to talk about it as much as we talk about anything else. But sometimes it takes practice, I guess. It was nice to be able to sort of create a context where it was maybe a nice entry point for some people to engage with. Obviously, my perspective is slightly different in the performance itself. And for me, the the audience actually was a community for me while I was performing. So part of my performance was directed, as I was saying, sort of towards Mike, because he was there in the, the subject and me as the friend, but also towards the audience, like all, saying all that text that we had, you know, like... I'm here to listen and all those things. But also nearing the end, part of really what was on my mind in the last movement was that the audience was there also like with me and with Mike and like I really could like feel their presence in that last movement, which for me, like really, I felt that sense of community. And I think with that discussion, like it's something in this sort of subject matter that people feel so isolated and so alone in, um, lonely and like they are alone. So for me, having those discussions and having those people there and having the discussions really supplemented that it is a community and like people shouldn't have to feel alone and pretty wonderful for me to sort of like engage in that community sort of aspect. I thought that it was interesting also at one of the post-performance discussions that one of the um, crisis hotline workers sort of empathized with Jess's role as well in the performance. Empathized with, uh, oh yeah, like that, you know, struggling with knowing what to say or how to say it or wanting to help, but not maybe having the right, um, you know, not feeling confident about how to help. Right. Or having the right words to say, but knowing that it might not reach the person like they wanted to. So that, that was kind of interesting because that's also a, like a different perspective. It was nice to be able to connect with, with that person as well and that perspective. That work is, is really important, but it's also, I'm sure it also is, feels lonely at times and, and difficult and heavy. So it was nice to be, without even really intentionally doing it, it, it's nice that we can maybe sort of, this piece can sort of speak to different perspectives touched by suicide. I, I can't actually think of very many performances I'm not even sure I think of it as a performance anymore. To me, it's it's uh, it's all one, you know, the discussion and the performance are part of one thing. And I, uh, notably, the discussions were longer than the piece on bo both nights, and happily so, I think. And I, I can say for sure that it's it's certainly made us at New Music Edmonton think that this is a 
it's something we can be doing is to uh, you know as it as it were use our powers for good <laughs> the discussion is as important as the music in, in a way i was just wondering one last thing which is really whether whether there are any plans for further performances um i know you did a recording while you were here i'm gonna do the like the mix and the edit and everything this later this year i think i'm gonna take a bit of a break from the piece so i can come back to it with with fresh ears and then we have uh, we also gathered some promotional material and stuff while we were rehearsing and in the studio so i would really like to see this project live i would like to um do many more performances with it it would be nice to bring bring jess over to norway again and and sort of maybe do a tour here um i think it would be also very relevant for audiences here and elsewhere eventually yeah eventually more concerts i think i'm about to have a baby next week so <laughs> after that whole thing is no. <laughs> jessica's baby was there yeah exactly kicking away while i was singing through the workshops and and the performance <laughs> oh was there kicking while you were singing there absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both very much for this. Again, I, I'm, I'm a little at a loss for words talking about the experience of the piece, um, about the story behind it. I think it's you know, an understatement to say that we're very grateful to both of you for sharing this. And uh, Mike, for you to, to be willing to share your story through a, through a piece of art. And also just to say once again that this, this piece is really just such a testament to your friendship um, as much as any, any artistic partnership, which I think is a, a lesson unto itself. So thank you both very, very much. It was very special for us as well, so. I, it really meant a lot to have a team behind us who sort of understood the intention and, and really like supported our work with, with your work. I mean, it was really, it was a, a great collaboration for sure. That brings us to the end of this edition of The No Normal. New Music Edmonton is a not-for-profit organization, generously supported by the Canada Council for the Arts, the Alberta Foundation for the Arts, Canadian Heritage, SoCan Foundation, Alberta Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis, CJSR Radio, and the City of Edmonton. A sincere thank you to all our supporters and sponsors, along with our members, volunteers, and NME staff and board members who keep it all together and happening for New Music Edmonton, to the artists whose work is the reason we come together, and of course, thank you for joining us. Visit newmusicedmonton.ca for programming updates and for our streaming archive of on-demand digital works presented in this series. The No Normal Podcast was created by Caitlin Sean Richards and Ian Crutchley for New Music Edmonton. I'm Oscar Tsitlatt.